Ford. The secrets. It's not easy being a celebrity. Once this little kid, cute little kid, asked me for an autograph. I gave it to him. He said, Thanks, Mr. Hanks. I took it away from him, tore it up, and told him Tom Hanks was dead. Secrets. <laughs> This is the Extra Hot Grade Podcast, episode 56 for the week of November 7th, 2011. I am Mouth Organ or Awkward Pause, David T. Cole, and I'm here with Mazel of the Week, Joe Reed. Hi, I'm. And competitive spit taker, Tara Ariano. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hey. hey! Welcome back. We're back after a couple of weeks off. That's right. Because we were recorded early for Halloween. Joe, how was your vacation? Uh, relaxo. Y'all buffaloed up? Relaxo <laughs> at Rancho Relaxo. Uh, yeah, I got all buffaloed up. It was very good. Excellent. And Excellent. be haircutted. Yes. Does not look as much like Joshua McKinley from Project <laughs> Runway anymore. Thank you, God. Uh, Tara, what's on the docket for today? Well, we thought because... Uh, this week marks the return of Conan O'Brien to New York to do a week of his new show, Conan, this, his TBS talk show, um, that we would talk about those episodes and also just in general about late night chat shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I had the one problem that I had with the Conan shows this week was that um, as always happens and as happened, as I'm sure we discussed back when we first were talking about Conan like a year ago, mm-hmm. when we went to see the live show in Austin, right. there were there was literally two minutes of ovation yeah. at the beginning of every episode. And I know it was two minutes because I fast forwarded to the point <laughs> where I could see him start to talk right. and get through all the, you know, the bouncing around and the string dance and the hoo-hahs. Yeah. But uh, on the whole, I thought these were four very strong episodes. Yeah, he was very, very funny and very good form. Yeah, and you don't usually, neither of you usually watches Conan. I don't watch it every night either. Yeah. I usually just record, as with all night night shows, other than The Daily Show and The Colbert Report, (laughs) I will record a show when someone's on that I like. Right. It's a good sampling. I feel like that's pretty, got to be a good way to get a good sample. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of got bored with Conan. Yeah. And there's something about Conan um, lately that he's really dialing up the... Uh, how old is he? He's not that much. He's, he's got to be almost 50. He's for sure in yeah. his like late 40s. mid to late 40s. Yeah. So he's not... Because he's not that much older than we are. Right. He's not terribly older than I am, but he's he seems like, like a whole generation apart. Yeah. And this whole Luddite, fakey Luddite, I oh, did look at notice me thing. That. It's yeah. getting, it really kind of annoys he seems me. He's crankier yeah. in general. Yeah. He's moving away from the Fallon end of the spectrum yeah. and towards the Letterman, Letterman end of the spectrum. Yeah. And I kind of like. Which doesn't surprise me considering how sure. much he sort of. As, as we all do as we get anyway. older and grumpier. <laughs> yes, true. Shut up, Joe. Some of us uh, started at the Letterman <laughs> end of the spectrum, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's my thing with Conan generally is I just sort of find like I find the Fallon end of things more entertaining these days. Yeah, yeah it's kind of a bummer. What I, I know what you mean, because he was like my guy. Yeah. And, you know, when I because his show started when I was in university. Mm-hmm. And so many, many a late night was spent yeah. watching. Like I watched the I, pr- I probably watched, you know, four out of five episodes. Sure. Of the first maybe five years of his show. Yeah. Um, like I still remember sketches they did when Amy Poehler sort 
sort of started showing up on SNL. It was like, oh, that's the girl that played Andy's sister on Conan. Like oh, all nice. of these sort of minor comedy people that are, you know have since come to right. more fame or whatever, at least more recognition. Um, but now, yeah, you're right. Like he's not he's not the same guy that he was before. He's not as he's not as goofy. It's like he's been you know, like he's like the soldier that returns from war now, right? You know, he's gone. Yes. He's gone. Yeah. He's been in he's, the he's shit. He's been in the shit. Yeah. And now he's back, and he's not quite the same. <laughs> yeah. He's got that thousand yard talk show stare. Yeah. Even when they brought back the masturbating bear, I was kind of like, oh, really? Yeah. Like, not that I necessarily thought he wouldn't. Or right. that he wouldn't bring back Triumph, or which I thought that segment was very strong. Actually, we should play that clip. So, the, and the fourth episode of this week, they sent Triumph to Occupy Wall Street, and so he first was among you know the Occupy Wall Streeters, the ninety nine percenters, and did the, the sort drum of, circles, the drum circles, and did a lot of you know predictable like yeah. your dirty. And by the way, jokes. the drum circles are never not there. I've been I've been near there twice now, and they're always you can always hear them. They're always there. Yeah, yeah. And I thought he made a good point. Of he made a joke about like, did you ever think about the? There's nothing nothing wrong with the drum circle except that if it wasn't here, it would make the protest bearable or something like that. I'm, I'm mangling it. But then, you know, those jokes were kind of pat. I thought, but then when he started like going after actual stockbrokers and still doing the triumph thing, it was it was much much funnier in my opinion. I'm reporting here on Wall Street now birthplace of the American economy and home to more than 90% of the people who bought the movie Boiler Room on DVD. <laughs> I'm here with Bluetooth McGee, stockbroker extraordinaire. Look, I'm kidding. I'm not here to poop all over you. That's what you pay your Russian hookers to do. You guys have problems too. Everybody knows that. You know, all you need is your own protest signs. Wi-Fi in limos now. How about this? Make a Porsche that doesn't use Pirelli tires. <laughs> and uh, my other sign is a yacht. <laughs> I just have a few points for me to poop on. I see this thing. Poop on. <laughs> get these Wall Street guys to talk to me. Wait. I think I've got an idea. <laughs> Arando Rivera, Fox News. Come on, I'm on your side. Nothing to fear. Fox News. You'll talk to Geraldo? Sure, hey, how you doing? There we go. These protesters with their whining and crying, right? Yes. Don't they realize that their public educations are being funded by the taxes you evade each year? So I thought, I mean, that that was like a glimmer of old. There's the, a really the good Conan joke after that where he says, you better hurry back from lunch or you're not going to get your hurry back from lunch bonus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then it, the other thing that was good about Conan being on location was that he got to play to what I think is still his greatest strength, which is doing remotes yeah, I was with just ordinary about to say people. That. Um, the Chinese food thing on Monday. The was Chinese food thing on Monday was so funny. He was down by my old office. Particularly actually. when he walked, past, uh, asked the woman in the windowsill for directions, yes. and then he sort of came back and he's like, "You're a very, you're beautiful very woman. beautiful." <laughs> and then <laughs> when the other lady hugged him and spilled her drink on him because <laughs> she was so nervous. I, yes, I and the that. first woman that was like when he went to do. So I don't want was, to be on camera. Right. Oh my god, I loved that. So the, you can play a little bit of the intro to the bit. He just he went to a Chinese restaurant and was uh, taking orders and then going out on on deliveries. Yes, this is King Wok. What is it you would like? What's that? I don't know. Do we have... Do we have rice? <laughs> What's your name? I'm Conan. O'Brien. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Is this delivery? I gotta go. I got a delivery. I'm gonna hang up on you and your order's not being placed. <laughs> Let's do it! Let's do it! 
Make her high five me. Make her high five me. Make her high five me. High five me. Make her high five me. So the, the first place that he goes, the woman comes down and obviously is not having any part of this, doesn't sign the release, her face is all blurred, and he's yeah. like, I have your Chinese food, she's like, I don't want it. <laughs> she's just not having any That was any so weird. So yeah, that was weird. She doesn't want to be on camera. But I feel like, yeah, I feel like that's, I feel it's like you get that in New fault. York where you wouldn't necessarily right. get that in LA, where it's just people who yes. are, you know, they don't care. Right, they're, right. They're not having it, they don't right. need it. And you might also think if you came down, what did Conan O'Brien do? To, like, what if, is it Conan O'Brien presenting my food to me because something hilarious exactly. was done to it and yeah. I'm going to be the butt right. of the joke? You right. know, you don't know. But that high five me thing reminded me so much, and it's just sort of like the influence of Conan throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Of uh, you've seen the Billy Eichner clip, I'm assuming, yes. where he's getting his own show on yes. Fuse. Fuse. Um, where he's just like the franticness of he sort of runs around and yells oh at people God. and stuff like that. Yes. That was very, you can see sort of the influence that that kind of man on the street stuff that Conan has been doing. And obviously yeah. Conan wasn't the first to do it. No, no, like, no. And Letterman used to do it too when he was young and spry. But you and can those see like too. there's, you know, this sort of like generation of comedians who have grew up with Conan anyway. Yes. Well, see, when I, when I was... Oh, uh, you know, uh, whatever, I guess teenager and I was Letterman was the new kid on the block as far as, you know, late night comedy anyways. Yeah. And back and that was back in the day of the hydraulic press and the throwing yes. stuff off the top of the building yes. and stuff that was like, oh, my God, this he is still does crazy. occasionally. Yeah. Uh, OK. And then, you know, eventually Conan sort of took over that with masturbating bear yeah. and triumph yeah. the dog and you know the goofy mm-hmm. stuff like that now i feel like fallon is now superseded conan with yeah. yes. the thank you letters and the yes. weird game shows on the, yeah. on the on on his show yes. and so i think it's just like a lot of it is just familiarity mm-hmm. and yeah it's well just, and i think it's, it's the talk show as a concept it's a format being yeah. so old that it's like every succeeding generation yeah. treats it less and less and like a talk let's show. put a pin in that because i got something to say about that a little sure. bit later yeah but yeah and and Conan's interviewing skills aren't super great and the way yeah. that they interview people on that show aren't super great, especially like the way obviously things are rehearsed, you know, like yeah. I, I really feel cheated. Like there's a Hugh Jackman uh, bit where he's talking about how he had to sing a song in a play he did in China in Chinese mm-hmm. and he rehearsed the thing and he started singing it and then like Conan tries to do it, but it's obviously all rehearsed and it became this big number and it was just yeah. like flop. The, the, yeah. the thing just flopped. The audience it, was like, you know, smattering. Yeah. Of, but I thought uh, he got more out of Bloomberg than I've seen most people get out of yeah, Bloomberg. Yeah, the Bloomberg bit was on, funny. When he's on other shows. Yeah, it's 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 not it's it's hit and miss. I'm just mm-hmm. um Yeah. I, again, we'll get into it later, but put it put a pin in the idea <laughs> we'll about the inter- the rehearsed interview because other, I have stuff to say about that. The other the last thing I think we if if everybody else is done talking about Conan, my sure. last thing I would say about it is the, obviously the big event and the capper of this week of uh, episodes in New York was Conan performed a wedding between one of his staffers and his longtime partner who obviously cannot get they're gay and they can't get married in California so that was you know the the gimmick slash idea was they can get married in New York and it actually was quite lovely I thought yeah Um, and especially in the in the Wednesday episode they did a segment where they had collected all these clips from local news from after they announced that they were going to do it and it, it was like obviously there's some kind of wire service that just sends out the copy of like Conan maybe pushing the late night envelope and it was like 20 clips of all these different <laughs> local news shows all saying the exact same words Yeah. and so um, <clears throat> when they did the wedding on Thursday I thought it was actually quite lovely and I also think it's uh, maybe long overdue atonement on Conan's part because he makes a lot of 
lazy gay jokes. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I think even more so than they other, all do. N- Mm, no yeah not so not so much anymore that's good and um yeah it is good and i'm not saying that like anyone thinks conan is a homophobe including me but they're easy jokes yeah and particularly when when chaz bono was on dancing with the stars like the few episodes that i saw during there there was a lot of jokes about chaz bono's penis which do your research there isn't one right you know and like at least when let you know when the the chaz bono documentary was on own for example yeah chaz went on letterman yes letterman asked a lot of like kind of dumb questions like ignorant questions in the literal sense of that word of like i don't know right i'm trying to understand that's what i think that letterman does yeah yeah versus conan just like going for a cheap dumb joke that doesn't even really make sense when you think about it it's sort of how i feel about joel McHale on the soup who i generally (laughs) adore but like he has a real tin ear when it comes to finding ways to make fun of gay stuff on TV, which yep. there's a billion ways to make fun of it, sure. which you have fun of, with it. Yeah, look and at I feel Brian like, Safi's That's Gay, and not I fe- that you can anymore. But. Right, but I feel like Joel McHale always falls back on that, like, oh, his father must be so embarrassed. Yeah. And it's just like, all right, we've heard that joke like 12 billion times, maybe yeah. move on. And it's offensive <clears throat> and insulting. And Anyway, yeah. so if this means that Conan's not going to make those dumb jokes anymore, hooray for Conan. Right. And also hooray for that couple because they yeah. really looked very happy yes. and it was a, it was lovely. And it was nice to see them ride out on uh, Ted, on Turner's Ted Turner's Bison after. Bison. <laughs> <laughs> and Will Forte is great. So yes. we're talking a bit about other talk shows in the in the course of the Conan discussion. So let's talk about where what we're watching talk show wise nowadays. Dar. Yeah. Um, the only show that, as, as I think I mentioned already, the only shows that I watch every night are The Daily Show and The Colbert Report because that's like one of the three places I get news. Right. Um, and I need to give an honorable mention to David Letterman who is still doing his show and still crotchety as ever and also will like maybe once a week have on a scientist or a commentator yep. or someone who will like actually inform his audience and it yeah. really seems like a choice he's made to be like, I have this platform. I'm actually going to do some social activism with it. Yeah, yeah. I'll be the closest thing to like a Charlie Rose on entertainment talk show television. Exactly, sure. and yeah. I I really respect that he does that, and he doesn't go easy on conservative on on not just conservatives, but on politicians yeah. that he has on either. Yeah, he really asks good, smart questions, and um, he's he's still got it. But my pick is Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. I'm looking for a nice girl with beautiful eyes and smile, tits. <laughs> I have a snowmobile that I like to drive real fast because I got the need for speed. I also got the need for love. <laughs> Beginning of the night, I might stare down. I ain't looking at your boobs. <laughs> I'm looking at them heels and them toes because those need to be right. <laughs> if it's a Thursday night and you're... you want to kiss... <laughs> Then you just have to pick up your phone and page me, and I'll be right over. <laughs> My whole bedroom's insulated by carpet. I don't have that much trouble meeting women. Uh, people kind of uh, find me endearing. And my favorite food is cake. Uh, perhaps romance a woman whose husband is dead. Uh, if you're watching right now and your man is out the door, you should come see me because I can give you some more of what he was giving you before he died. <laughs> this is a recurring segment that, thank God, came back on Thursday this week called Cupid's Arrow. And the premise of it is that the studio, the late night studio used to be used in the 80s by a dating, video dating service called Cupid's Arrow. And so they you know create these montages of bachelor videos that are all like dressed up you know technically really 
well done they're really so really good. well done yeah. every detail is great and they also used they haven't done it in a while but they used to do a segment called video vision that was the same thing it was like the video vision guide to sexual yeah. harassment it was again as i've talked about many corporate times videos from the 80s. my favorite thing yeah. the fake corporate video and they were yeah. also had super low production values but <clears throat> the late night with, with jimmy fallon show is uh his interviewing is not the greatest either. No. He's great when he has on someone that he cares about or thinks or, or knows well. And the rest of the time, if it's like you can you can definitely tell when it's like canned prep. Questions. Also, but with Fallon, I would say big props to Fallon for for uh, inserting topics that haven't been in uh, talk show stuff before, mm-hmm. like tech. Yes. Video games, yes. Yeah. this kind of stuff. Like yeah. he's obviously. That was, and that was a conscious choice. That of they did of my generation, right. the generation before he's catering yeah. to that crowd, which is smart, obviously. But yeah. obviously he's really into these things, too. Like Definitely. he really loves his gadgets, his games and stuff yeah. like yes. that. And it shows. Um, but they also just seem to be really having fun. They do. We talked about they do a lot of games on the show, mm-hmm. both yeah. with audience members and with guests. Mm-hmm. They'll have, you know, people do beer pong or play Pictionary or, you know, do Jenga or whatever. Yeah. Oh, my God. If he's. Ellen Barkin doing charades is still one of like the top <laughs> 10 things I saw on TV this year. It was the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Um, and their comedy sketches, especially the recurring things, the one, my, my, uh, opening name, competitive spit taker is a game that they do where it's people from the audience doing competitive spit takes and you have to roll to see if you're going to take or, or give the spitting. <laughs> um, but I also wanted to possibly do Lady Smith snack Mombazo, which is a regular <laughs> recurring sketch that they do, which is like, a, an acapella group singing in the style of Lady Smith, Black Mombazo, yeah. but they're just singing about snacks. Yeah. Which is just like someone it obviously said that you. at some point and then they were like, let's just make that a sketch, which I, I think is great. Here's what I love about that is that that generation of SNL, that Jimmy Fallon, Tina Fey era, mm-hmm. clearly found the concept of the name Lady Smith, Lady Smith Black <laughs> Mombazo so funny because they used it in an SNL episode. They in used mean it girls. in Mean Girls as a punchline yes. and now it's in this. It's like, I respect that. That's a really, that's yeah. a good comedy band name. Yes, like, and, like they, and there's also been a lot of press coverage of the show um, talking about how they've, they've explicitly tried to keep it positive, yeah. which as you know, if you've listened to this <laughs> show a lot is not really our thing, but I appreciate it in yes. the show. It really gives it a a, a a nice, welcoming, inclusive, fun spirit. Well, and yeah. it sets it apart from. It's not Definitely. like it's not like everything else on late night is mean per se, but it gives right. it if gives it a good identity. Right. I mean, yeah. at our friend Adam, fat past guest of the show, did a, a cover story on the sh- on Fallon and on the show for New York Magazine, and he sort of told the story that was like a, it, the show in microcosm, which was. When the Susan Boyle video was blowing up right. last year or whenever right. it was, they sort of thought, we have to figure out a way to to cover this because it's such a big thing, but we yeah. don't want to do it where it's like making fun of her looks or right. whatever. And so the, the solution they came to was like having diff- pe- people in different bad moods watching the video and then starting <laughs> to cry. And it's like, that's kind of, it's acknowledging yes. it, it's that it's a thing. Right. It's, it's, you know, making comedy of it, but not in a way that makes her the butt of the joke. Right. And, um, anyway, late night with Jimmy Fallon. Good, good pick. Thumbs up. It is. He's yes. he's got some uh, '80s Letterman DNA, but yes. with sort of a uh, you know welcome to my party yeah. atmosphere. Yeah. yeah. Joe, what's yours? Uh, my pick is Watch What Happens Live on Bravo. Oh, oh, you know who that is? Did you hear that? Jack A. I think Jack A. is on the phone, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> is that the show? It's like that for half an that, hour? Uh, well, here's the reason why I chose that clip. <laughs> because if any part of that, if any part of having Jack Hay call into your show and have an impromptu sister-sister reunion because yes. you have Tia and Tamara Maori as your guests, if any part of that is like, oh, that sounds stupid, you shouldn't be watching it. <laughs> like, this is, that is the show in microcosm. It's It's just a really great fun sort of party time atmosphere in the guise of what is essentially or at least began as an after show for the various Real Housewives of whatever whatever series and and it was the first one it spawned you know Talking Dead as a ripoff of that and After the Runway as a ripoff of that right right but this one is so much it took me a while to warm up to Andy Cohen as a TV personality he was on all those reunion shows for like Top Chef and Project Runway and he seemed really uh, unctuous and now he's sort of morphed into like knowingly unctuous in this way that is kind of appealing. He has a, uh, I don't want to say drunken charm because it's not like his whole charm is drunk is being right. drunk, but like everybody's pretty well lubricated on that show. Every time I see a clip of it, everyone looks very pink cheeked. Yes, everyone yes. looks like they're at a wedding reception. Yeah, and I mean that in the best way. And that's what it is. It's sort of like the late hours of a wedding reception, and everybody's just <laughs> sort of like hanging around and cracking jokes. And the humor is not very sophisticated, but they're all it's it's sort of guest dependent right but when you have the right guests and most of the time they do um it's just a really fun atmosphere where they take the shows seriously and that they're talking about what's happening on the shows in a way that like can you believe such and such did this but they're not they're encouraged to make fun of the shows at all time and make fun of themselves at all times right and And i think andy gets stuff out of these people that other people wouldn't not just because he i mean what i always liked about seeing him moderate reunion shows is that he would ask the questions that I, as a fan, would want asked. Yeah. And unlike a Jeff Probst, for example, yeah. he will push. Like, if yes. he thinks someone's being evasive, he'll be like, you didn't really answer my question. Like, he'll he'll go after somebody. Well, Not in a mean way, no. but in a way that actually, like, gets to, yeah. you know, what a viewer would want to see. And I almost clipped the uh, the Patty Stanger one from recently because that got all right. that attention for all the terrible uh, anti-Semitic and homophobic things she was saying. Sure. It was, the, the, the appeal of that is more you have to see the look on his face because he really deals with her in this way where he's going to give her enough rope to hang herself with because part of it is he is a businessman he's you know he's in the business of branding this network and he knows that the more she says this shit the more attention it's going to get and it's good and it did but he also he gave herself enough rope to hang her with but uh but then he kept sort of prodding her and standing up for himself in a way that wasn't like i'm going to grind the show to a halt by starting a confrontation but i'm going to keep prodding at her with like you know, I can't believe you're saying this. Are you saying that, you know, right. me, uh, mistaking somebody who's gay for straight is a good thing? And why would that be a good thing? And, mm-hmm. uh, I like that. I like that he sort of, he has this strange sort of brand of integrity where it makes you feel better for watching these super trashy shows mm-hmm. because you're sort of encouraged to have the kind of fun with the shows where you're making fun of it, but you're engaged with it as well. Well, he knows he's not making Breaking Bad. Exactly. Like, these yeah. are supposed to be fun, yeah. buzzy, yes. you know, girlfriendy shows. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, he does, a, he does a good job of selling them. And he was part of the Conan wedding also. See? All coming together. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Dave, what do you like in Late Night? Um, I'm going to go with uh, Craig Ferguson and the Late Late Show uh, that follows Letterman. And here's why. Um, 
the unrehearsed interview. I was talking a while about putting a pin right. in something. Yes, Let's yes, so yes, here's yes, a guy yes. who who says no to that. Yeah. We're just going to have this wherever it goes conversation. Yeah. And sometimes it makes sense. And sometimes it's just silly. Yeah. But it's usually entertaining. Certainly a higher uh, hit rate yeah. than uh, Conan or Fallon and Definitely. their interview stuff. And he's, he's, a, he's, he's quick. He's got a quick mind for these interviews. So yeah. usually it's funny. The guest gets into it. Yep. And uh, his bits are sort of hit and miss. Yes. Um, he does stuff with puppets sometimes in the monologues, which are always duds. But then he also has this this, this robot skeleton, Jeff, who kind of graduated from this canned answers mannequin into like this whole other character on the show that's sort of it's got its own voice. And so what I've clipped as an example from the show is uh, Craig talking to Jeff the Robot and for whatever reason, on this episode, Jeff the Robot is doing the whole episode as uh, Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Dear Craig, I just found out my best friend is terrified of whole carrots. <laughs> she saw some in my fridge and flipped out. What does that say about her? She's terrified of orange penises. <laughs> Is it penises or peni? I've never had to use the plural. Jeff, you've used the plural. What is the... Is it penises or peni? Well, I remember when I went hunting once for wild, <laughs> wild peni. <laughs> they like to roam out in... Well, you say peni. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Like a group of them, if there's a lot of them. What is the... <laughs> what is the collective noun for penises, then? If you get a herd of elephants, what is it? A something of penises. A what, a what of penises? A, a, uh, An Elton John of penises, oh is it? Oh my God! A, a, penal, a, a pickle of <laughs> hell if I know. So there's an example of you know perhaps where underscripting can work really well for a show, and he's yeah. in yes. line to take over for Letterman. Apparently, that's he, in his contract. It, it is so. in his contract. It'll be interesting to see if that format can hold up if he's an hour earlier sure. after the news. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just not. I'm I. I'm not sure that that's true, and I'm sure we've talked about this before. Even though it is in his contract. That Letterman seems to speak about Conan a lot and very fondly. So I think in, in Letterman's heart, Conan might be his real true successor. But Well, let's hope there's another horrible controversy in store for uh, Late Night. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's possible for there to be a smooth succession <laughs> anywhere, anywhere. So probably oh, God. we're in for something. Dear Mr. President, there are too many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. Uh, no, I am not a crackpot. I'm just saying it right now. American Horror Story is the best new show of the season <laughs> and maybe my favorite show on television. Before you get into this, listeners, <laughs> I wish you could see the diary of from Seven quality of Joe Reed's notes on this topic. It's an entire one side of a printed page. Please, please proceed. Single About spaced. a quarter of the other side. Oh, yeah. Single spaced. Single spaced. All right. Um, first of all, I'll do apologies to uh, Homeland and to Revenge, which are two fantastic new shows, and I'm not slating them by saying that American Horror Story is the best new show. They are both very good as well. Um, But American Horror Story manages to provide the kind of uh, visceral, giddy reaction in me that I hadn't been getting from scripted shows in quite a long time. Uh, It's the TV equivalent of something like a Piranha 3D, in that it's absolutely insane, it adores the genre it's in, and all it wants to do is wallow around in that genre for as long as possible. Uh, 
it had horrible buzz going in before I saw it. Uh, when more on that in a second. Um, but I wasn't expecting much. I was expecting something really bad. And then I saw the first episode where nine billion things happen in like the first minute alone. And it's just like event on top of event on top of event. And, you know, with more stuff happening in it and like, you know, the first 10 minutes that happens in full episodes of something like The Walking Dead or even something like Boardwalk Empire, which... They're going for something completely different. They're going for respectability <laughs> that American Horror Story could not care less about. I challenge so like, you to give one example of how Boardwalk Empire is different from American Horror Story. You know I'm going to have to go and like think about that, Dave, because I can't one think of, of them, anything off the top of my one head. One of them has a lovely pregnant lady, and the other has a loathsome pregnant well, lady. Well, but they all they both have characters who have been horribly burned on one side of their face, so True. point to me. Shopping. <laughs> Um, but, like, stuff is happening in this bitch. Like, for reals. Um, (laughs) this is one of those shows where all you have to do to explain why you like it is to just sort of recite the plot as much as you can, because it's like, you know, by the time you get to the part where the demon in the rubber bodysuit, uh, drowns Spock from Star Trek in the apple bobbing tub, like, it's... You know, typical. What? Yeah, it's typical. It's <laughs> that old song. That old song. Um, or Jessica Lang cooking Ipecac laced cookies for the daughter of the family for no reason at all. Uh, that's basically all the explanation you need. It's a family: Connie Britton and Dylan McDermott and their daughter, who is Vera Farmiga's sister, who we liked very much in Higher Ground. Um, they move into a haunted house where it has had. More or less than 85 murders happen in its entire history. And all of the ghosts still sort of linger. Uh, Almost all of the supporting cast, I've decided, are dead or uh, some sort of ghostly. In between state? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. There's the others? Yes. Um, Well, and you can see, like, its influences are very, like, they're not subtle about everything else that influences them. In one episode, they'll have a stranger's homage, they'll have another's homage, and, and... Friday the 13th and all this sort of stuff. Um, Jessica Lang's the one everybody's been talking about, and rightly so. Uh, she's like all of Tennessee Williams' entire career died and is now haunting Southern California somehow. More people could be talking about Frances Conroy as the maid who is, through spiritual machinations, uh, Dylan McDermott is hitting on her constantly, even though he sees her as a young, slutty French maid and everybody else sees her as this old lady. Um... <laughs> it's I mean I could go on for a lot longer and I won't. Um You could. I could. Don't shorten your notes, you made them. Oh my god. Um I think part of the reason why I'm so I stick up for the show as vociferously as I do is because it's gotten really, really terrible reviews from critics. And I am normally pretty good at being like other people like things, other people don't like things. Things that I like have legitimate areas where people could criticize it. I don't get the criticisms that the show gets, at least not the ones that are most prevalent, which are mostly that it seems contrived, where it's like, oh, okay, so the house with the dead baby parts in jars in liquid in the basement and the latex bodysuit man and everybody's a ghost, that seems a little contrived to you. Like, I don't know how a story, a haunted house story doesn't get contrived. It's... Like when you say it like that, it sounds like lost level. Okay, but here's the difference. No, I don't mean in a bad way. I'm just no, no, saying no. that if you buy into the premise of lost with all these caveats, well, then it's, is... it's it's the horror 
it has the same number of leaps of faith. This is the genre we're buying into. And it reminds me a little, I don't know if you guys have kept up with community at all, but the Halloween episode where Abed's whole Halloween story was everything had to happen realistically and how things would happen. And then it it totally falls apart Mm -hmm. because without some kind of contrivance, you're not going to have people in a situation where like they're in, in this show. Okay. Um, But the last thing is interesting because the other big complaint that people have is, well, they can't sustain this and it's totally going to fall apart. And it's like, very well, possibly like everybody hates this because it's Ryan Murphy because they all hated Glee and they know that he can't sustain a television show, which is true. But unlike Lost, every episode in the show is not telling you it's all going to make sense if you just hold on to it. Like there's, there's nothing to figure out. Like all this shit is happening all the time right now in front of your eyes. You can sit down and you can enjoy the show for what it is and not have to be like, well, by the end of the season, all these frustrating plot lines are going to come that's, together. That's hard for me to do. You don't need it to, you don't need to though. Yeah. There's really no, this show isn't asking you to have faith in it at all okay. because there are 12 different payoffs in every episode. Okay. So I don't like, I guess you could be, you know, spend your time watching the show, so wringing your hands and being like, well, it's not going to sustain its pace. And it's like, okay, well, American enjoy Horror it Story. Right now. So what you're saying is it works best when you live in the moment for the show. Yes. And that absolutely. if you're doing something else, then you're approaching it perhaps in the, uh, Suboptimal way. I, I, you're, are you saying that I'm saying that people are watching it wrong? Because I am. Um, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I just, I can't imagine <clears throat> watching the show and being, and even having time to think, well, 12 episodes down the line, it's just not going to hold together. It's like 12 episodes down the what? Like, I don't understand. Nothing's going to be standing in 12 episodes. The whole house is going to burn to ashes and reform itself out of those ashes. So this brings Jessica up the question as TV watching as an investment. Yeah. Uh, Tara, how this do you approach? This is a short-term investment. How do you approach shows in general? Well, I don't... This- I mean, my problem with this... And I... Joe, I love you, and I honor your love of this show. Let's hear it. My... I, I only watched the pilot, and I almost didn't finish that, but Mark Lazanti made me. He yelled <laughs> at me on Skype and said, You've, you're 40 minutes in, you have to finish it. But... I will just say three things. Okay. One, my problem with horror as a genre for TV uh-huh. is that necessarily if it's going to be a tv series it can't have the main uh, to me payoff of a horror gore. film which is no not gore catharsis oh i see that you'd ha- you have to keep spinning out the story instead of having it resolve and then you are released even right. if there's a like the end question mark sort of right. thing which a lot of horror movies have sure a horror movie ends yeah the story can't end right. definitionally. Right. And I don't like all the stuff where it's like the story can't sustain itself, whatever. Like it's a haunted house story. Yeah. Even if all of the, this, the current family dies, they can still be in the house next season when someone new moves in. Like, right. I don't care about that part. Yeah. But that's my problem with the walking dead too, where it's like, wouldn't at some point they just give up? Yeah. Honest to God. <laughs> I know this is my point. Every I time we talk about the walking dead, one, yeah. but honestly, just like, die already. Everybody. Fucking Robert Kirkman, who writes the comic book, every time he's interviewed about what would you do in a zombie attack? He, his answer every time is I would kill myself. And that's the guy who writes the walking dead. I'm not making this up anyway. Yes. That's my problem with horror on TV. Sure. Point the first. Yes. Point the second. 
it is my uh, anecdotal observation based on people I follow on Twitter that really like the show uh-huh. that they tend to be of your persuasion, which is to say gay men. <laughs> and that's not to <laughs> What are you trying to say here? I'm trying to say that Ryan that Murphy we like campy may not <laughs> necessarily have the greatest handle on writing a straight marriage relationship and that, that a certain segment of the population might not care about that. Yeah. Whereas... For me, it was a big stumbling block yeah. that at least in the pilot, these people aren't behaving the way normal man, woman, married people do. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's the third thing. And, or the second thing. And the third thing I will say is, repeating again that I honor you and, and love you, <laughs> that this... That man, this the, one's going to be good. No, no, no. The, <laughs> your love of this show yeah. um, and your spirited, very detailed defense of it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Contrasted with your judgment when we talked about Louis and saying that you thought that episode, admittedly in isolation, right. was in and your word was gratuitous, <laughs> is the purest. No, 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 no. This, I'm not saying this in a judgmental way. Sure. I'm saying this whole discussion that we're having right now, contrasted with that one, yeah. is the purest proof that taste is subjective. Yes, I think that's true. That's all I have to say. I, I, you have. Uh... You've made a very good case. I do not judge. I do not judge you for uh, not being into the show. Um, I mean, there's, but I'm not. I'm also not one of the people that's still watching it and mad at it. Well, like my I, my yeah. choice was to not watch it right. anymore. And like people, everyone has that option. Yeah. Well, and some people, it's their job to watch it, and maybe those are the people I'm being frustrated by. Um, well, then they should change jobs. <laughs> like you, you don't get as we used to say. No, no one gets fucking drafted into writing recaps. Well, that is true. if you hate a show that much that you can't find anything redeemable in it, yeah. and you're still writing about it, yeah. You're not living your best life. I just, and part of me is like, if you have to watch the show, I don't, I honestly maybe don't understand how you couldn't find something fantastic about it because there's, there's so many things to choose from. There's so much of it. (laughs) There's so much show. It has more show per, per capita than any other show. Uh, Okay. So that brings me to my point, which is, okay. So Tara watched the show. It didn't even tell me about it. And, 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 just watched it. Didn't say, Dave, do you want to watch this? Right. Maybe she, oh, she I, knew. <laughs> no, what happened was I watched most of it and then I went away with Sarah that weekend yeah. and it was still oh, right. on the DVR in the bedroom. And then I went home. I came home to resume watching the rest of the episode. And then I was like, oh my God, did Much, you watch this? Like, I was horrified at the thought of you watching it at all. So you're saying that you are Naomi Watts in the ring and Dave is the little kid in the ring <laughs> where she walks into the room and the kid has no! just finished watching it. And yeah. she's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, okay. Admittedly, the subject matter and just the I'm mean, not into horror, but this is like a not a show yeah. for Dave. Oh my god! I didn't even want to watch it. I was shocked you would even bother. I did watch the pilot. Yeah. And Joe, again, I love you very much. <laughs> but Everybody my takes me today. This but nice. my takeaway was this was sort of the live action horror version of Family Guy, <laughs> where it was just a bunch of shit they threw against the wall. And hey guys, they remember just the time the husband and wife couple it. killed each other in this house? Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. basically, what was that? Yeah. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I kind of get you from this from uh, the standpoint that here's a show that I can enjoy in the moment. I'm along for the ride. Perhaps it makes not a lick of sense, but that's okay because it's just got this weird, quirky kind of thing going on that i enjoy for its own sake yes and i don't need it to make sense not no okay i'm fine with it and i think it makes enough sense i feel like the nonsensicalness of it is being a little bit overblown in like it has its own internal logic that it's pretty well keeping to it's a stupid and insane internal logic but 
I appreciate it for that. All right. Is this worse than jazz? God bless you, Kirk Hamilton. <laughs> uh, is this worse than jazz is back after a very long hiatus. Uh, this week, things were not worse than anything for a while. <laughs> this week, I want to talk about something that's good. a little troubling and perhaps is worse than jazz. And I think it can be attributed to the rise of the douchebag in culture and sort of how we've been desensitized, I think, to uh-huh. the actions of the douchebag, <laughs> where now he's sort of becoming a demographic and sort of <laughs> something that marketers can identify and put and, and sell stuff to. Right. And so I'm seeing commercials that sort of star douchebags. Right. And they're not they're they're being set up as the good guy, the hero, the person you want to be. Right. And I find it really annoying. And the thing that really pushed me over the edge is a recent ad uh, from Heineken. It's the second in a series of their 1960-tinged guy about town. Yeah. And uh, this one is called The Date and it started airing recently. And if you uh, don't uh, remember it, let me uh, walk you uh, through it. Hey guys, can I just walk through your kitchen unannounced? (laughs) Mind if I chop onions all over your floor to impress my date? Ladies love chopped onions. Can I toss this fish around all willy-nilly into a pile of flour and make a hilarious mess? Doesn't matter, just did. Here's hoping the health inspector doesn't stop by, right? Later, gators. Hey, guy walking around with two beers on a tray. I'm sure those are someone else's order, but I'll just snag one because I'm an entitled asshole, right? You'll notice I didn't try to grab two so my date could have one. I'm awesome. Look at that! Eels in a tank! Let's scare him and make a mess! Ha <laughs> ha! Classic me! Yo, waiter, I don't know. I'm high-fiving you! Don't worry about it. I'm awesome, so it's okay. Hey, experienced queer magician with the bunny peering out of thin air. That probably took years of practice. Look at my trick. I turned to the side, and now I'm pretending to pull a beer bottle out of my mouth. I think I one up you! Now hold this bottle. We're done here. Hey, girl, let's run around backstage where we're definitely not supposed to be, then jump through these paper walls and make a big, splashy entrance. Broken paper walls probably just mend themselves, right? And they have no associated costs. And now, some spastic dance, the mating ritual of the giant hipster asshole. You love me and you know it. Here's a Heineken. Cheers, milady. I'm adorable. Heineken, the beer for fucknuts. <laughs> huh. That's beautiful. So here's this trend. I find it very disturbing, and Heineken's at the forefront of it. Do you think this douchebaggery is worse than jazz? Well, listen, before we continue, did you also clip the yellow tail? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Dave was already was complaining about this ad one of the millions of times that, that we watched it. And I said I couldn't get that mad about it because I love that song. But then... Oh, the other- wait. Like, the Nazis were sharp dressers. <laughs> but that doesn't excuse their behavior. I didn't say I couldn't get mad at it. I said I couldn't get that mad. Carry on. Oh, you're not doing the, the that's bullshit <laughs> drop? I was waiting for it. That's bullshit. <laughs> Look, anyway. nobody's saying the Nazis weren't sharp dressers, you guys. <laughs> anyway, so the, but then the other day, 
after Dave had already expressed his desire to do this, this segment about the Heineken ad, I, this ad came on and I realized I had to piggyback on his segment. Go to Joker's Wild. I just love that kangaroo. Go to Girls Night Inn. Never the wrong time for the right wine. Yellowtail, the go-to. That voice is like nails on a chalkboard <laughs> yeah. to me. It's also a 60s-tinged kind yes. of affair. Yeah. But that like snooty, oh, right. I understand the banks are a place that people put money that's not properly invested. That voice <laughs> yeah. of Judge Whitey, yeah. the, the lady version of Judge Whitey, mm-hmm. Mrs. Whitey, is like, <laughs> it, it's, it's excruciating to me. So if that's how you feel about the Heineken ad, then I get it. Well, my, my my problem with the Heineken ad is that this is guy just being a giant dick. Yeah. And yes. he's like, beer hero. <laughs> and he's going to get action tonight, apparently, is the message. He's, you know, he's carrying his girlfriend around places he shouldn't be, destroying bar property. Right. Being Which is a funny dick. Because I, that's not really how I think of Heineken as a brand of beer. Like, it no. seems to me more of like a Richie hipstery yeah. beer. Yeah. Do you think it's like the misguided attempt to extend the kind of charm of a the most interesting man in the world in yeah. those sort of commercials? Because yeah. I feel a little bit of a of a try hard. Ki- uh, oh yeah, yeah. Take There's on a that. whole. This is part of a bigger ad uh, sort of genre right now, which is sort of like was crystallized by the the old Spice Guy. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm a horse thing. Where <clears throat> there's, there's like a whole halo of there's, it. Yeah, there's a whole... And, and the most interesting Each guy more annoying than in the, the world is sort of part of that, where it's like, yeah. you know, here's the ridiculous vignettes of this character yeah. and the things he's going through. Isn't he cool? He's cooler than all of us. And this sort of has some overlap in the Venn diagram oh, yeah, you know that. what? It's like the Coke Zero ad with the guy going, yeah. and... Yeah. Oh, that yeah. also, that, there's that one's Old worth... Spice, there's DQ, yeah. there's the Coke, well, and there's Heineken. Well, have you Heineken. seen the, uh, the Puss in Boots promo that yeah. explicitly does the, yes, old, the spice old Spice ad? Yes, the Old Spice ad. I can never watch the whole thing. I always have to change the channel because it's so incredibly <laughs> but... cringy to me. Like, it's just so, like, oh, you're trying so hard and it's yeah. just not But working. don't you find something different in this Heineken ad than, say, the Old Spice ad where the Heineken guy is, you know, kind of like just a capital D dick about things, whereas the Old Spice yes. guy was sort of like... He's a cool guy. He's inviting you into his charming little universe. I like how I like the the terms that you're taking these ads on, Dave. Where it's just the uh, the generosity of spirit in your pitchman is lacking. Yes. Except I, I I agree with your internal monologue for this guy, but I think the voice is more like I don't know. I can't do it. More more hipstery, like sure. But I'm less, not a voice less actor. of an Ed Hardy guy. Yeah. But I I totally. He's more Williamsburg. Yes. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yes he, yes, he is. So, uh, quick, worse than jazz or not? I mean, I, I put it out there. I, it's still not worse than jazz, but it's pretty bad, I think. Yeah, I feel like the brevity and the fleetingness of commercials, where in six months we won't even, it won't be a glimmer in our eye, and we'll still have jazz. <laughs> jazz is eternal. Jazz the old war horse. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> not going might, anywhere. It might be equally as bad as wow. jazz. Wow. Ah, All, right. All right. All right. All right, guys, it's time for the canon, and we are continuing our talk show theme today with a user submission from Andy G. Hey, extra hot graders. A little off the beaten canon path, I have an episode of The Colbert Report from January 18th, 2011, with the guest of Cornell West for your consideration. This episode is not really a special episode. There aren't any gimmicks or anything, but every segment is really strong, and as a whole, they demonstrate the wide range of comedy Colbert is able to accomplish on his show. The first segment is a typical Colbert-style media criticism. He takes something the media is doing, puts it in the context of himself and how it affects him, then delivers a perfect, satirical summing up of the Sarah Palin problem. 
with an amazingly written and performed speech, an instant classic. Mika, you need to buck up. I know you think this story has no purpose other than keeping Sarah Palin's name in the headlines for another news cycle. I know you think she has nothing to offer the national dialogue and that her speeches are just coded talking points mixed in with words picked up at random from a thesaurus. <laughs> I know you think Sarah Palin is at best a self-promoting ignoramus and at worst a shameless media troll who'll abuse any platform to deliver dog whistle encouragement to a far-right base that may include possible insurrectionists. I know you think her reality show was pathetically unstatesmanlike and at the same time, I know you believe it also represents the pinnacle of her potential. And that her transparent, transparent desperation to be a celebrity so completely eclipsed her interest in public service so long ago that there would be more journalistic integrity in reporting on one of the lesser Kardashians' ass implants. And I know, I know that when you arrive at the office each day, you say a silent prayer that maybe, just maybe, Sarah Palin will at long last shut up for 10 f***ing minutes. <laughs> I know. I know, because I can see it in your eyes. Well, guess what, Mika? That's the gig. And it's only January of 2011, kiddo. And you have a minimum of two more years of this ahead of you. You want to stay in this game? You dig deep. You find another gear. You show up to work every day, get your hair and makeup done. You slap on a smile, get out there on TV, and repeat what Sarah Palin said on Hannity last night right into the lens. You know, news. <laughs> I have faith in you, kid. You can do it. I'll see you in New Hampshire. I'll buy. This is followed by a very strong edition of the word. In the best words... Stephen uses political buzzwords and slightly twisted logic to show the absurdity of commitment to political ideology when the facts and reality don't back up your belief. It is the purest expression of the character. He believes what he wants, no matter what the facts say. When the word has a great strong point like this one does, there's no stronger, more pointed satire on television. The next segment is much broader comedy, a takedown of an as-seen-on-TV product, Forever Lazy, and is full of very strong, silly jokes that are a lot of fun to watch the character embrace. Colbert, as is typical, is game for anything and goes to very extreme ends for laughs here. Finally, though it is typically the most uneven part of the show, there is an incredibly strong interview in this episode. Cornell West is an excellent guest for this show. Energetic, very game, and on the joke, and with a worldview that throws off Colbert's character by a large degree. It would be nice if our churches were on fire with justice, but so many of them You believe in burning churches. You just said, that is a horrible, horrible thing for you to say. Oh, no, no. What I want, I want to burn that indifference. I want to burn the bigotry. I want to burn the hatred. I want to burn the intolerance. Yes, I want the flowering of not just the love, but most importantly, the tenderness. Brother, I'm a militant for tenderness. Wait, I'm tenderness? You just said I the money symbol. The tenderness. tenderness. You got to pay to play in your no, no, love no, game? It, no, it's the touch. It's the touch. Oh, it's, it's the touch. It's the touch. It's the it's touch. touch. It's you, you, you remember the oldest okay. wedding thing about trial of tenderness? Oh, I know. Trial of tenderness? Absolutely. The kind of thing that can't be bought and sold. Can't be bought and sold now, brother. You can't buy tenderness. I but can bring you that, to part of town where someone might at least... Except they would entertain an offer. They would entertain an offer. Their fantastic, fast-paced banter feels like a really great improv set. Colbert in his element. By the time he exposes a bit of Colbert's inner Sondheim fanboy during a discussion of bluesmen with Colbert barely managing to hide his delight, 
it set itself as one of the all-timers for Colbert interviews. Dylan, really? Oh, yes. He, I he, didn't realize he was a black man. He's, he's a blues man. He's a blues man. He's a blues man. Don't, don't have to be black to be a blues man. Really? No, no, no. Oh, of course, because you got, you got your Michael Bolton. <laughs> Bolton is talented. Bolton he's talented. is talented. He's talented. Yes. You're not. Bruce Springsteen is a white blues man. Tennessee Williams is a white blues man. Tennessee Williams. Stephen Sondheim is a white blues man. Oh, you don't have to darkness, tell me about dealing with the darkness. Sondheim. You know, Sweeney Todd, Sweeney Todd, brother. <laughs> absolutely, oh, absolutely. Yeah. But you feel the tenderness in the music of Sweeney Todd, though. Uh, cutting the throats of people and turning them into pie? No, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. sweet, very sweet, delicious. No I try a little priest, absolutely. Not why I'm around, no one's gonna harm you. That's not, not, you are terrifying. <laughs> In conclusion, this is a strong writing and performance showcase for the Colbert Report, demonstrating the most of the things the show does well, while never failing to be hilarious. It's a true demonstration of how when Colbert is on, he can be one of the smartest and best half-hours on TV, and I think... Worthy of the canon. Uh, I love Stephen Colbert. I love, I adore him. Um, I loved his book, even though I usually don't like books like that. And when he w- did his walk on in the last episode of Conan this week, uh, I, th- I think I said in those words, oh, I love him. The way I used to say it when I would see footage of like Obama in the early days, <laughs> like, oh, I just, I just love him. Um, I love the character. I love him out of character. He's the greatest. That said, um, I don't know if there's, if it's possible that any episode of The Daily Show or or The Colbert Report could be in the canon for the reason of exactly what he said, the interview, Mm -hmm. is your reaction to it, again, totally subjective. I thought his interview with Cornell West was fine. Yep. But I was, like, if you could, if you could Lego the pieces of this episode with, like, the the two episodes, the the two interviews that I can think of offhand that I thought were the, the greatest of Colbert Report history were the one that he did this year with Kevin Klein. Yeah. And the one he did with Stephen Sondheim, where he sang, he did like Filk to um, Send in the Clowns, which I'll link it in the show notes because it was hilarious. But and the uh, the Forever Lazy segment was good, too. It was imp- the only problem with that is that it was impossible to clip the entire thing. Yeah, yeah. But uh, and the and the word also is not clippable either because it's 50 percent of visual. visual joke. Yeah, I think the show painted themselves into a corner with the interviews and having Colbert have to always be sort of in his character. Yeah. Um, and I think the character sort of like often gets in the way of a potentially interesting interview. Yeah. Like the interview always seems to be more about Colbert waiting to score a yes. talking point Certainly. than it is to actually engage with the guests. And I always just, I find it tedious. I, I, I like 90% of the interviews I, I don't need to watch. Yeah. I don't disagree with you, but at least he's doing it in a character that is created for the purpose of humor. Whereas when Jon Stewart does it, for example, yeah. this week when he had Condoleezza Rice on, yeah. and you're, you can t- he's even worse waiting in the weeds to like try and catch them. And then he has to do the whole thing where it's like, well, you may have noticed there was a huge cut, blah, blah, blah. It was 10 extra minutes. It's going to be online. Like, yeah, we fucking know. And every time you have a conservative on, the same thing happens. You have to make, do this whole song and dance like it's a big goddamn mystery. Well, yeah, I mean, Colbert benefits from the fact he doesn't ever have to pretend he doesn't have teeth. I think yeah, like, yes. Stewart talks a big game when they're not on the show, but when yes. they're on the show, yes. he softens a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes, he does. He couches his his uh, questions. He'll and ask his a dis- tough one and then just giggle yeah. like... You know, I don't. It's not that I don't think he 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 gets there with these people. He definitely does. And it's not that he has to be tough as nails, 
but he talks a big talk when they're not there and yeah. I don't think he backs it up when they are there. I agree. And I wish I had the technical know-how to do a super cut of because yeah. he has this move that he does anytime he interviews a conservative where you know he's got his biggest gotcha question yeah. and he'll ask it and then lean back and like do big eyes and like sometimes yeah. cover his mouth and stuff like he does this he d- it's the same thing every time. Uh, this is why I say that Jon Stewart is the worst thing about the Daily Show as I did in our all crap right. episode. So going back to the Colbert thing though yes. I think like I, I understand that the segments in character, or rather the interviews in character, lead or you know lead their way into comedy bits. I just don't think the the things that he drops are funny enough to make up for the fact that the interviews are always fair <laughs> enough. See, and I think in this particular case, I think in general, a lot of the interviews are like that. I think this is a kind of a strong. Uh, example of his interview style when he gets somebody like Cornell West who manages to be like Cornell West is a kook, but he's a kook who is in <laughs> on the Colbert joke mm-hmm. enough yeah. that he's because a lot of the times with Colbert trying to always waiting to jump in, you get a lot of like friction because the other guest is trying to be the show. So they're trying to prove that they're so hip that they're like hip yeah. to the joke. Yeah. So it's a lot of like butting of heads. I feel like Corn- in this Cornell West interview, uh, Cornell West kind of like would back up and just sort of like would just start laughing at what Stephen is doing rather than like kept trying to one up him. And yeah. there was a lot of crosstalk, but it was crosstalk where it felt more easygoing and productive. Um, you ever feel sorry for the interviewee uh, when he's got something and he's got like a book or something like that? Yes. And they just never get to what the book's about or anything that might interest you about the product that they're there to plug. I find, which is weird because it's like all this incestuous sort of, you yeah. know, corporate, you know, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, the, the publishers and, right. you know, everything. And everybody's just making money, but I still, for some reason, feel just sorry for the guy who's there sure, to pimp something and he never gets to it because Colbert's just got to like yeah. do a stick. At least the picture of your book cover got on TV, which yeah. is, I mean, there are like two venues that routinely interview authors of serious yeah, yeah. nonfiction yeah. and those are the daily show and the Colbert yeah but the one. daily show i get a sense of the book i hardly ever get a sense of the book from the colbert yeah. show but you look at i mean and i'll compare it to something like bill maher which is trying to do something completely not completely different than colbert but enough mm-hmm. different but uh bill maher sort of gives cornell west a lot of space to pontificate and i sort of i appreciate that like colbert doesn't let Cornell West run away with the show and sort of there's enough of because I feel like he is Colbert is the show and I think that's the joke of the interview segments anyway when he runs out and he slaps fives with everybody um I don't know I like this one in particular but I do feel like there are still I I have similar issues with why an episode of the Colbert Report might not be able to be in the canon no matter what unless it was really atypical of the normal episode. And even then I might feel queasy about like, well, it's a gimmick episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought the word about Sarah Palin while being kind of like Dennis Miller ranty was still extremely strong and really played to his strengths. Yeah. The word does things that like, it'll actually bring up an issue a lot of the times that you're not going to hear about in the regular news. Like yeah, this one true. about like Absolutely. resegregating of schools. Yep. Like you're not going to get that anywhere. And it's really thought provoking while yep. being extremely funny. I thought the slanket thing was like, it was a two year stale slanket joke, but like whatever he was still like, it was amusing. Well, I that wasn't thing really was new at the time. It. No, but was, I mean, but like slanket yes. jokes in general and yes. snuggy jokes, yes. we had kind of heard them all before. So that was my least favorite part, but I mean, he's, he's super funny. Yeah, uh, my criticisms of the interview is not to take away the fact that he is extremely talented. Like the the whole breathless clip that we played that was two minutes long was a long clip, but we needed to play the whole thing at the yeah. start. Was like, can you imagine having t- 
do you write that one day and like you know like six hours later you're going to be on air and you mm-hmm. got to like deliver it with that sense of timing without muffing any any yeah. of it up in one take like god knows i can't speak one sentence on this podcast <laughs> without marble mouthing something <laughs> uh so he is yeah. really talented i yeah. just wonder if like you joe like i just don't think the show as a whole ever becomes canon worthy for the same reason i think snl has trouble sure it's just sort of like there's always some part of it that is weak and i feel like that doesn't so take away the modular. value of the show no no, no. absolutely right. i mean when you think about like that you you can watch a show that's on four nights a week like 40 weeks a year yeah. and and it's it's great 85% of what you see. Yeah. And the interview is is like, okay, I, I do really think that they painted themselves into a corner with the interview value, mm-hmm. having him in character. But, you know, the interview is there because he eats up 10 minutes of yes. the show they got to write. Of course. They yeah. got to write every day, right? Yes. So it's going to be there one way or the other. Yeah. Yes. But it's always because it's always of that, the weakest yeah. part. The least predictable yeah. and usually the And I don't quality. feel like a show like this succeeds or fails on the basis of an episode. It's yeah. more like, yes. it's, you judge it more by segment by segment. Yeah. Like yeah. you judge SNL by sketch by sketch. Yes. Rather than, you know, the episode isn't the be all end all, I don't think. It is like when you go to a tapas bar. Yeah. And you say, you know, overall, that was a, that was a nice meal we had. But, right. you know, I really like the <laughs> onion dish. But that, you know, beef thing, that was kind of bad. Yeah. But sure. still overall, yeah. pretty yep. happy with how things went. Yes. Right. That is a Colbert report for me. And I appreciate the out of the box uh, submission. Me too. Yeah. Well, it's a good conversation. It's fun to discuss. This is what I keep trying to explain about my SNL catastrophe. (laughs) It was like, I felt like that was a discussion worth having. And this is a discussion (laughs) worth having. And we got to play some awesome Colbert clips. We did. All right. Let's put this officially, Tara. No, but thank you. Yeah, no, but thank you very much. Yes, uh, no, but again, uh, nice submission and Mm -hmm. uh, Colbert report. Definitely one of the best shows on television. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Colbert Show, January 18th, 2011 show. You are not in the canon. I am very sorry. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. It's time for Winner and Loser of the Week. And Joe, you have our winner? I do. Uh, we've talked about this show a few times on uh, here before, but Bob's Burgers, which has yet to premiere its second hey. season, uh, got picked up for the back nine nevertheless. Woo. So it will be airing a full packed season once uh, Fox decides to sweep Ellen Gregory under the rug. Oh, my God. It's and so And gives bad. the people what they want. Which Who is, is that show for? Tina by the barrel full. Oh, my God. I know. So bad. Um, loser of the week, and I don't want to say too much about it because way too much has already been said. But Chris Humphreys, was it worth it? Probably not. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. You, wait, I just have a, qu- a point of interest. Can I ask a question? Do you know who Chris no, Humphreys well, is? No, that was my question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dave. Give him a multiple choice. Chris Humphreys is either a uh, somebody who was on Conan this week and made a fool of himself. Uh-huh. B, a sports figure who dropped a crucial touchdown pass at the very end of the Monday football game. Right. Or C, an NBA, uh, NBA player on strike who just got divorced. Oh, is he married to uh, Kim Kardashian? <laughs> yes, he was. Dave got it from context clues. That was very good, Dave. Yes. Very impressive. Those are pretty good uh, clues to pull out of your they ass. They were, like, yeah, with yeah. no prep either. I'm, I, that was excellent improv, Joe. Thanks. Guys, you know what time it is? Game time! It was game time. All right, guys. It's the uh, sixth game time of the season. Tara leads Joe two to three after a Halloween comeback on Joe's part. Three, three to two. Three to two. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, today we are playing 
Education connection. Uh oh. Oh. Went to school. Ah. Didn't do great. <laughs> Education Connection comes from uh, Teresa C., who encourages everybody to get connected for free at Education Connection. <laughs> I am going to give you the name of a TV education professional. Okay. For two points, you tell me the show they are from. Yep. You can ask for a clue in the form of the subject they teach or the role they fill, after which the correct answer is worth one point. Understood? Yes. So we're asking for the... I'm, you want show. I want, want the show. show. A reminder that the question order has been randomized by Randomotron 1800, <laughs> and we're no longer picking numbers. And to decide who goes first, we are going to play Rocky, Paper Moon, Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> I'm going to go three, two, one, and you tell me what it is. Three, two, one. Rocky. All right, Tarya, this is an audio podcast. You oh, have right. to say it. <laughs> you need to Sorry, see the conviction so with which Tara just threw rock. Oh, my God. Three, two, two one. Paper, Paper Moon. moon. Three, two, two, one. Paper, Paper Moon. moon. Three, two, one. Rocky. Three, two, one. Rocky. I win. All right. <laughs> Rocky wow. Scissor hands. We may not have to do that. <laughs> that that was maybe a failed coin toss next week, guys. <laughs> All right. So who won that? I did. Joe did. Joe, you are first. Yes. Mister Bergstrom. Oh, oh, The Simpsons. Correct for two points. Voiced by not Dustin Hoffman. Wait, Correct. Wait. Sam. He was Eddick. the second grade substitute teacher. Yes. Tara. Mr. Tessa Verde. Testa Verde. Testa Verde. Mr. Testa Verde taught history. I don't know. Joe knows. Was that Saved by the Bell? It was Saved by yeah. the Bell. Uh, Joe. Yes. Mr. Danza. Oh, is that the Tony Danza reality show? I'm going to uh, need the title. Oh, God. What was it called? Uh, now all I can There's think no reason why you wouldn't know it. Goddamn Matt LeBlanc. Show. Take a guess. Tony teaches. I don't know. Was it just called Teach? Teach colon Tony Danza. Oh, we can only hope that's why part I only of a franchise. Of stupid yo teach from episode. Would Tara. you have accepted just Teach? Uh, probably not. Okay. Tara. Ms. Holiday. Ms. Holiday. Arrested Development. Mm. Fuck. That was a substitute teacher from Glee. Oh, 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 Holly Holiday. Gwyneth yeah. Paltrow. Yeah. All right. Joe. Ruining my life again. Ms. Farrell. Miss <laughs> Farrell. Hint. Miss Farrell taught third grade. Miss Farrell taught third grade. Uh, How I Met Your Mother? She taught third grade in the 60s. Smoked probably a lot. Drank. Mad Men? Yeah, uh, she's from Mad Men. Oh, oh, the affair one? Yeah, of course. Of course. Her, yeah. Tara. Yeah. Ms. Grant. Ms. Grant? Miss Grant. Miss Grant. M-I-S-S Grant. Hint. Dance. Fame? Few Correct nice. for one point. Joe. Mr. Heyman. Mr. Heyman. Mr. Heyman. Hints. He taught physical education. Freaks and geeks? Mm. Seinfeld. Oh, Seinfeld. their gym teacher, yeah. All right. Tara, Mr. Moore. Mr. Moore. Head of the class? Yep. Correct for two points. Nice. Score break, Joe? Two. Tara? Three. Three. Two to three. It is a close game. All right. Joe? Yes. Mr. Woodman. Mr. Woodman? Mr. Woodman. Hint. 
Mr. Woodman was the vice principal. Vice principal? Yeah. Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Joe is too young. Tara? Welcome back, Cotter. Oh, welcome back, Cotter. Yeah, I'm too young. All right, Tara. <clears throat> Mr. Reeves. Reeves. Yes. Hint. Mr. Reeves taught physical education and was the basketball coach. White Shadow? Nice pull. <laughs> Total guess. All right, Joe. Yes. Professor Walsh. Professor Walsh. Uh, that's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That is Buffy the Vampire. Yeah. The, <laughs> Buffy the Vampire the Slayer <laughs> for two points. All right, Tara. Ms. Crabtree. Ms. Crabtree. Hint. Ms. Crabtree was the bus driver. Oh, um, South Park. Yeah. Correct for one point. Joe. Yes. Mrs. Teasley. Beverly Hills 90210. Fuck you. <laughs> Tara, don't <Yeah>. complain. <laughs> Mr. Prezbaluski. The Wire. Correct for two points. Joe. Yes. Ms. Davis. Ms. Davis. Yes. Hint. Ms. Davis taught social studies. This is a tough one. Um, Ms. Davis, social studies, my so-called life. The Wonder Years? Boston Public. Oh. All right, Tara. Yep. Mr. Rosso. Russo. Mr. Rosso. Rosso. That one's my so-called life, I think. Freaks and Geeks. Freaks and Geeks, the guidance counselor from Freaks and Geeks, the famous guy. Jeff Rosso, of course. Score break, guys, Joe. (laughs) Five. Tara? You have five? I thought you had six. Oh, no, you're right. Sorry, six. Six, two. Seven. Six, two, seven. All right, uh, Joe. Yes. Miss Jacobs. Miss Jacobs. I'm going to need a hint. English is what she taught. <laughs> they all teach English. Don't they all? Uh, Miss Jacobs. It's true. I bet there's a high uh, number of English teachers so they yeah. can just pull in the uh, literary references to Man. make their show all smart. You know what the hint should have been? First what? name. That might have helped. That would have made it easier. We don't want easy. We want <laughs> difficult. Um, I don't know. I'm going to say my so-called life again until I get it right. Tara knows. I don't. She doesn't know. Miss Jacobs taught English Dawson's Creek. Oh, oh the one that Pacey fuck. screws. Yeah. All right. Tara. Miss Canfield. Hint. Second grade. You're not going to get this. Okay. I trust you. Leave it to Beaver. Nope. <laughs> I never would have gotten that one. <laughs> Mr. Medina. Gilmore Girls. Yep. Coach Wolf, Tara. Coach Wolf. The hint better not be coach. Girls Gym. Coach Wolf. Girls Gym. Girls Gym. Those clues are going to make a lot of sense after you hear the answer. Yeah. I don't know. That was Strangers with Candy. Oh, right. All right, Joe. Yes. Dr. Geller. Dr. Geller. Oh, friends, when Ross was a professor. Correct. Tara. Mr. Wegler. Spell Wiegler. it, please. W-E-G-L-E-R. Wegler. Wegler. Hint. Uh, guidance counselor. What was that? Buffy. Incorrect. That was The Sopranos. Oh. This yeah. one's uh, proving to be a little tough on you guys. I'm kind of surprised. This is much harder than I thought it well, would Well, we be. hate education is the oh, thing. Sure. So, Joe. Yes. Dr. McGrath. 
Dr. McGrath. Dr. McGrath. Um, it's got to be a college show. Um, say Sometimes by the bell of college years. Principal. Yeah, that's true. Say by the bell of college years. I don't know. Felicity. Oh, a college show. Oh, Christ. Uh, <laughs> Tara. Yeah. Mr. White. Breaking Bad. Correct for two points. All right, guys. Score break. We're nearing. That was the 24th of 30 questions. Joe? 10. 9. Very close game. Uh, One point separating them. It is 10 to 9. And Joe, are you ready for this brain buster? Yep. Senor Chang. (laughs) You know, it's funny that he would be uh, a boon to me. That would be community. (laughs) I'm sorry, Ken Jong. Not really. Tara. Mr. Gilbert. I'm reminding everybody there are clues. Hint. Mr. Gilbert was head of sixth form. That's a big clue. The in-betweeners. Uh, <sighs> correct. Uh, Joe. Yes. Ms. Frizzle. Ms. Frizzle. Miss Frizzle. Hint. Miss Frizzle taught third grade. Ah. Uh, Nodding his head. Nothing's coming to him. I feel like that's one of those shows like Doug. That's like a cartoon from behind my time. The Magic School Bus. Oh, Uh, yeah. Never watched that. Okay. Tara. Yep. Mr. Katsumitsi. Mr. Katmiski. Katsumitis. K-A-T-I-M-S-K-I. Mr. Katimski. Yes. Yep. My so-called life. Yep. Which is what I've been waiting for. You almost fucked it. I know. I knew that's what you were trying to say, too. And I was like, is it my responsibility to jump in That's why I started to spell it. I know I can't say things. I know I'm stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're no Stephen Colbert. (laughs) Oh, guys. Mr. Rooks. This is your last question. R-O-O-K-S? That's correct. Mr. Rooks. He's a teacher. Hint? He taught history. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking of course he did. Mr. Rooks. I'm not going to get this. Take a guess. Glee. That was from Veronica Mars. Oh. All right, Tara. Is that the Adam Scott guy? Maybe. Yeah. Your last question is Ms. Aldrin. How I Met Your Mother. Wow. Oh, there she is. Correct. All right, what guys. Was the, what was the tiebreaker? The sky, the skybreaker. The tiebreaker was Miss Barely. Barely. I got that. I don't know. I, sounds she taught familiar. ethics. Taught ethics. Arrested Development. That's, that's, correct. Correct. Uh, that's the Heather Graham one. That's okay. what I was thinking of. With what's yeah. Can I get a score break, please? Yeah, uh, I finished with 12. And Tara? 14. Ooh, a squeaker, a squeaker victory. Indeed. I shouldn't have said the what the hint should have been. Oops. That was this was a very good game still, but it would have been easier definitely yes. if the hint had been. The well, first now game. you can have the pride of knowing you made it through a difficult game. <laughs> I just didn't want the submitter to think that I was shitting on her game, which was very no, it good. Was a very it was good, game. and I think we need a tough game once in a while. That's Absolutely, true. To put you two in your place. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Tara, Tara, congratulations! All right.
right, guys, that's it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We took a look at Conan's return to New York City and each put a word in for our favorite talk shows on right now. Joe explained why he's not a crackpot for loving American Horror Story. And we asked if recent alcohol ads were worse than jazz. Guess who's honoring Stephen Colbert now? Not us. We denied entry into the <laughs> Emmy-nominated episode of The Colbert Report into the, the canon. <laughs> We crown winners and losers of the week, and Tara was winner of this week's Game Time. You can comment on the site, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and don't forget to send us your audio and Game Time submissions. All the details at extrahotgrate.com. If we use yourself on the podcast, you get one extra credit, which can be cashed in for an extra hot great mini topic of your choosing. So, Andy and Teresa, email me and let me know what you want us to discuss. Remember, we're listening. I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tar Ariana and Joe Reed, don't make me kill you again. Thanks for listening. We'll see you right here next time on Extra Hot Great. One day I called George Lucas up at 3 o'clock in the morning, pretended to be Mark Hamill. He said, um, Harrison? And then I said, No, no, it's me, Mark Hamill. And he said, Harrison, I know it's you. And I said, Well, then you know wrong, because it's Mark Hamill. He sighed and said, okay, Mark, what do you want? <laughs> Ford. <laughs> 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 <laughs>